0: the number one marketing influencer just one question, what would it be? Maybe ask how you can revitalize your company's brand? What advice could you get to become more relevant? Or how about some tips for a wealth management firm to cut through the social media noise and get noticed? All these questions and more will be answered on this episode of Wealth Management Today. My guest today is none other than April Rudin, founder and president of The Rudin Group. April is widely acknowledged as a top marketing strategist for the financial services and wealth management sectors. In fact, April is the number one wealth management influencer, according to On Analytica. That's impressive. Even more impressive that you agree to be on my podcast. So you're really going to like this show. I worked very hard on it and was happy to get April's time. Um, April's firm, The Rooting Group, uh, which he leads now in its 10th year, designs bespoke marketing campaigns, for some of the world's leading wealth management firms, fintechs, and family offices. April knows how to build campaigns that strengthen brand value and drive client acquisition. Uh, Not only does On Analytica think April is a number one influencer, so does IBM and Capgemini and a lot of other big uh, global firms. And you can read some of April's thought leadership in the most popular uh, news media and other uh, outlets like Huffington Post. American Banker, Family Wealth Report, and Funfire, to name a few. I was so happy to get April on the show. She's super busy flying all over the world that we have her here. And you're going to get to listen to some of the uh, questions I ask her. And uh, we really covered a wide range of topics. And I think you're going to enjoy this episode. Here we go. This episode of Wealth Management Today is brought to you by Ezra Group Consulting. Broker dealers are under tremendous pressure to retain and attract new advisors, and their technology ecosystem is a key part. Ezra Group Consulting is your go-to source for building the next generation of advisor and client experiences that will supercharge your firm's growth, increase user satisfaction, and reduce operating costs. If you're a broker dealer and you want to leapfrog your competition, contact Ezra Group today for a free one-hour consultation and 10% off your first strategic planning project. Go to ezragroup.co. That's dot for more information. And here we are with this episode of Wealth Management Today. And I'm pleased to have with me on the program, April Rudin, the founder of The Rudin Group, which is a wealth marketing firm. Hey, April. Hey, Craig. How are you? I'm really stoked that you're here because I'm so happy to have the number one wealth management influencer, as, as to, as, according to On Analytica, which is you on my program.
1: Well, I'm happy to be here. Uh, Honored. You know, that was, yes. So that was uh, quite an honor. But uh, what I think was most exciting about that actually is that it really validates uh, online marketing, influencer marketing, and wealth and wealth management. So I think there are a lot of takeaways for everyone from uh, my own honor.
0: Yes, I think there are. There's a lot you can share. So that's a that's a great title. Number one wealth management influencer and an even more important title, queen of selfies. Oh
1: well, everybody's got to have a shtick, and that's my shtick. Right, and. Yeah, it's not bad. I mean, now when I show up to speak at conferences, many times CEOs at firms will ask me if they can take a selfie with me. Mm-hmm. So, um, right. you know, it becomes something that is branded and recognizable.
0: So, right. um, yep, we, that's April how that Rudin, works. We April Rudin's uh, Snapchat filter. Oh, now there's an idea. Always yeah. thinking there, Craig. Well, yeah. Always thinking for you, April. You know that. So, we're good friends, and I want to congratulate you on your business. This In October of this year, it will be 11 years.
1: Yes. So, uh, I founded my business 11 years ago around three pillars that I saw intersecting, wealth, next gen, and technology, knowing that the way wealth management and other financial services the way that they were bought and sold would really change. And uh, I went to a friend of mine, here's like a little anecdote for you. I went to a friend of mine who was CEO of one of the very large banks and told them what I was going to do, which was to start a wealth marketing firm. And he said to me 10, 11 years ago, uh, April, you're a really nice girl, but number one, you're too old to be an entrepreneur. Number two, banks will never hire outside firms. Number three, high net worth people will never be on the internet and social media is a fad.
0: So basically so they are wrong on everything.
1: Yeah. So after hearing all of that and thinking about that naysayer, I went home, made my own website and launched my firm.
0: And the rest, as they say, is history.
1: And then we met.
0: And then we met. That's right. And we've been friends ever since. it was over a little branding issue too we were talking about branding so that that's a good segue so talking about branding no we want to talk about segment marketing so so how are firms how do you recommend firms think about segments and and segmenting their customer base i mean i know most firms don't do a good job of it and they they think in very very big silos rather than more granular and, and more of the, the newer way things should be thought about. So what do you recommend for firms when they're, when they're segmenting their customer base?
1: That's a great question. So, you know, I love to think about segments and I think you're absolutely right that they're sort of, it's sort of barbelled, Craig. People either think about, don't think about segments, right? Where they're lumping all their clients together and merely offering products and services at large. And then the other thing that I see that is needs to be improved on is people who over-segment. And over-segmentation can even be worse. Uh, examples of over-segmentation might be firms that have a particular offering only for millennials. Um, you know, where... Most millennials uh, or some millennials could be a cohort and niching is important. You certainly can't have one offering that goes to an entire um, uh, base of people based on their age. I mean, I have two kids who are millennials, but they certainly don't have the same wants and needs. How about you?
0: Yeah, I've got two who are millennials as well. And then they're certainly very different and they certainly don't know you know when it comes to wealth that's sort of like talking to them about bubonic plague they don't want to talk about it they don't want to think about it so understanding how to approach them and, and get them interested in it is is certainly an art as much as, as it is science.
1: right and that's where marketing really comes in uh you know marketing should really speed the plow towards sales and should be uh, client communications, prospect communications that gets people interested in things. The other area that I see over segmentation uh, in is women. Uh, For me, I don't think, uh, you know, you can have specific products and services for women. I think that, you know, sometimes it's borderline pandering, and some women, you know, don't take kindly to that, and then boomers on the other end, where you see the gray-haired couple on the beach, uh, you know certainly that doesn't look like that's not what retirement looks like for everyone.
0: Oh no, it's, it's it's way different, and you know, understanding how to to present to them is is important. And you know, you're, when you when you talk about over segmentation and over segmentation with women, I mean, there's still a lot of firms out there. Uh, I mean, L L Invest is is the most prominent that still believe women are a separate segment. Is is there a reason why you think that women shouldn't, uh, why having a specific segment just for women isn't the right way to go?
1: Well, I think that um, the better way to go, let's put it this way, is simply having multiple entry points, and people want to, I think, cobble together an offering that feels customized for them, and I think that if brands think of things more along the lines of the way luxury brands appeal to them, with customizing the client experience, that that will be a more successful way of meeting clients' needs, rather than thinking about, um, particular segments and offering products and services for that segment. Um, You know, Certainly, I know you know a lot of women, and all women can't really want the same thing. They're not at the same stage in life. They're not all the same. I know this is not breaking news now for the listeners of this podcast, uh, whether they be women or men, but um, that's where I think it needs to, if you take a grain of salt and think about things in a practical level. Uh, marketing to a segment that is 51 or 52% of the population doesn't really make sense either. On the other hand what you can do is offer products and services that can be customized so that people can find themselves in your in your products and in your offerings uh, and be spoken to in a language that appeals to them. So you certainly can have multiple entry points uh, And what I think millennials have done for us is to make things a little bit more um, uh, transparent and authentic. And that's something that uh, many brands are embracing today. And that is a positive change.
0: Yeah, transparency and authenticity, I think, are also hallmarks of the robo-advisors. So it's, it's definitely a trend that has impacted the rest of the industry, which didn't have a lot of transparency and authenticity beforehand.
1: Agreed. So I think that even though uh, that's not, you know, uh, and there's another misconception right there is that only millennials want robo-advisors and, you know, certainly uh, other segments of the population are very digital and want to have self-serve tools. So by, you know, uh, linking millennials to robo-advisor is also a mistake. I mean, when my son, my older son graduated from college. I sent him to a financial advisor who tried to have him use a robo advisor. And he said, uh, and he did have some assets. And he explained to the advisor, "I don't know anything about investing. That's why I came to see you." <laughs> so, right. I, so I think that, and of course, the only new robo advisor from his mother. But um, I think it's really important to, as I said, have a variety of offerings and not say that uh, as a firm level, we're going to offer this robo-advisor low end um, offering to millennials because they don't have assets. Some of that can be fallacious.
0: He may be more interested in a subscription priced uh, subscription, subscription model advisor.
1: He could be, or he might be more interested in meeting with a person. So, uh, giving people the freedom of choice, I think is where we are today in terms of product services offering, and then that leading into segmented marketing, um, just laying out what you have and letting people choose, give the people what they want, Craig.
0: That should be obvious. You'd think, but a lot don't real, all firms don't realize that. And a lot of these older firms, I think they're, they really need your services because they need to revitalize. And they don't understand how to do that. So how can these, you know, these um, firms that have been in the industry for a long time and are now getting hit by all different sides with competitors, how can they revitalize their brands?
1: So that is something that I think we're obsessed with at my firm is how to help old brands sort of, I've given it the term, millennialize themselves meaning that uh, these old brands are very valuable and have a lot of brand equity in themselves. But as you point out, they struggle with how to reposition themselves for new buyers and in a new market. Uh, What many firms tend to do is to lean on their legacy by saying things like we've been in business for a hundred years or we've been in business for 50 years. And these are really turn offs for people rather than turn on. So I think, when firms are more insular, they think that these are really, you know, great attributes a value prop to put in front of people. When in fact, I think many people might think, well, if you've been in business for a hundred years, you might be irrelevant to what I need. Right. And certainly, uh, you know, if you take a look at some of the data that's come out, uh, many millennials would rather trust a company that's been in business for 15 minutes than 15 years. Yes. So, um, yeah. yeah, so it's really important. What it, what it really comes down to is how firms message, which is another obsession of mine. Uh, the messaging in terms of how they're approaching the marketplace, how they position themselves, what language they use, what images, and how they target is really key to millennializing their brand. So the idea is, which is really more of an art than a science, of taking the attributes that have made these large or big or legacy firms successful in the past, but making them relevant to today's audience.
0: That would be brilliant because you're you're basically taking their uh, strengths that become weaknesses and turning them back into strengths.
1: Exactly. And that's where marketing really comes in. And the most important thing there is an exercise, uh, which is called messaging. Helping firms to really, I call it sharpen the pencil uh, to a fine point, mm-hmm. so that they're describing in very explicit language what it is that they do and what what it is that they enable, and how firm how how investors sorry can really benefit from them as opposed to other firms. Mm. Um, you know, the impetus for me starting my business was taking a look at different websites and collateral and thinking that you could basically swap out the logos between firms and the copy might read exactly the same. <laughs> yeah. So how, right. How were people supposed to figure out what the differences
0: are? You know, all wealth management firms start to look alike. There was, I know there was a presentation at a conference. I go to so many that a PR firm did. It was, it was sort of a, a, a satire they did a little video representing all the cliches you hear in every wealth management website presentation. You know, yeah, we've run a hundred years. We have a thousand years of experience. We've got a boat on it. We've got an anchor and a boat on our, uh, on the front page with a lighthouse and yes, <laughs> which means we're stable and you should work with us. You know? So uh, and everyone's got the same. So that, that leads me to my next question was, a lot of these companies, not just the wealth management firms, but fintech firms as well, they tend to cluster around the same messages. And and how do you yes. ask them to differentiate? And how do you explain to them why differentiation in that in that uh, sense is important? So that's a great question.
1: I mean, and that's really the you know zillion dollar question for firms. So many firms, larger firms, uh, as I said, are insular. Uh, everyone has a marketing team. But the benefit of hiring an outside firm is exactly that they can bring the expertise to show what others are doing and what best practices might be in the marketplace instead of having one internal team that is charged with coming up with ideas because many times they are, uh, you know, trying to eat their own cooking right so they uh, aren't sure of what's happening in the marketplace so I think that's why a lot of the messaging seems to be cliched people have you know sort of the herding mentality they start looking at their competitors and instead of free thinking and thinking what they can do on their own uh, what they do is they tend to use other firms marketing as a guidepost and that never ends up well on the side of fintechs and wealth techs, um, sometimes I find that they haven't allocated as much or any money toward marketing and sometimes can have a DIY approach, do it yourself, which also never turns out well. So uh, engineers should not be doing marketing and vice versa.
0: Engineers should not be doing marketing. That's, that's, that should be a, a T-shirt or a billboard somewhere. Both. Hmm. There's lots of things engineers shouldn't be doing, um, but talking about the the legacy firms and how you can take their attributes and and turn them into positives. You did a great um, a fireside chat at the Invest Conference last week with Dr. Kelly Keo from J.P. Morgan, and in terms of legacy firms, J.P. Morgan is probably the, one of the most legacy of the legacy. They've got 50% of all Americans have an account with J.P. Morgan. So how do you turn that type of business around and and change their the marketing and change the messaging to new generations of, of financial consumers
1: so I think uh, Kelly has done a really great job of leading the charge and has a multidisciplinary team set up to be able to actually do that um so she has a lot of different people that are working on this project from uh the engineers to marketers to um uh, other operations type people that help the implementation. And that's, what's really needed is to take a fresh approach. Uh, I don't know if you remember, but one of her slides, uh, the blank slide during the presentation showed what was actually at JPMorgan Chase when she started, which was nothing.
0: That's the one so I remember the most, the blank slide. Yes. I so, word for word.
1: Yes, exactly. Well, that was my idea was show a blank slide. And, uh, so the idea was that when she started, there was nothing. And you know, for some people, that's the thrill of a lifetime to build something from scratch, and for others, uh, it can be the most frightening experience. And um, she's really led the charge at J.P. Morgan Chase to develop something from scratch that um, supplements their business. And again, it's just another offering to their clients.
0: Yeah, and then there's, you know, J.P. Morgan's got 14 lines of business, so there's lots that they can offer their clients. So adding one more thing is, uh, and it's really a, it's a delivery channel for all their other business.
1: Exactly, and they're not over-segmenting it by saying, oh, uh, you, you know, you millennials come trade on our app. In fact, Kelly told me that um, Jamie Dimon uses the app for some of his trades.
0: And I know for a certain he's not a millennial. He's not. I want to take a little break from this episode to talk to you about one of my favorite sponsors, the Invest in Others Foundation. Invest in Others is a nonprofit. You can find them at investinothers.org. And they look to raise money and give out donations or they give out awards to charities that are sponsored by financial advisors. So it's financial advisors, uh, favorite charities, Charities that they spend a lot of time supporting. So invest in others looks to get sponsorships from the industry and funnel that money to advisors' favorite charities. I really like this this charity uh, and this nonprofit. I think you should take a look at it. Again, investinothers.org. They've got a couple other programs. One is a grants for good program. Uh, again, delivering money to different needy organizations and needy groups. They're also starting a corporate awards program, which is going to be a little bit different, but still within the industry. Uh, another way for financial services, uh, wealth management, corporations to help uh, donate money to people in need. So I really like Invest in Others. I think you should take a look at it. Invest in Others. Let me spell this for you I N V E S T I N O T H E R S dot O R G. So, how do so, we're back to marketing, we're back, we're back to branding and, and communication with some of these firms. So, messaging is, is one way of looking at their brand and, and how do you message yourself, but what about, there's another term called finding their voice. So, is that, that the same as, as branding and messaging or is that a different way of exp- expressing your company's values to your customers?
1: I think finding your voice is just another cliche, honestly. And, um, you know, I sort of bristle when I hear cliches like that, like finding your voice. I know that many marketing firms uh, tend to use cliches also and try to sell people on finding your voice as being a particular activity. Uh, I think everybody knows what that means. And that's really, you know, messaging. In And for some people, that's easier than others. Um, Some firms know exactly uh, what their mission is and who they want to be and what they want their brand to represent. For others, it's uh, sort of a work in progress, as we discussed, from an old brand to a newer brand. Uh, And all of this can also occur at a firm level and then needs to trickle down at an individual level. So individual advisors need to have their find their own voice. I'll use your term, even though I don't love it. But they need to be able to um, figure out what their own value props are at a local level, uh, as well as um, a brand level, enterprise level.
0: Indeed. What about... Uh, So you're mentioning different levels, the the advisor level and the enterprise level, or the advisor level and the firm level. So how how does marketing differ between those different levels?
1: So at an enterprise level, brands need to think about globally many times what it is that they want to represent and make sure that those um, tenants that they come up with really resonate and hold true across all their organization. And that can be obviously a greater and much larger exercise than what individual advisors need to do. Individual advisors need to think about themselves in their own local market and figure out what it is that they wanna offer. Uh, how is it that based on their skills and experience, it lines up to be able to serve the sort of clients that they wanna service? Uh, how, what is it in their individual background uh, that allows them to really understand or have the skills to be able to service these clients. And that's where marketing can really help, which is uh, to be able to weave these details and these messages into brand value statements so that uh, end clients and investors, prospects, center of influence, people can read these websites, look at the collateral, read the content that's developed, and truly understand where the sweet spot is uh, for these individual firms at individual advisor groups and then at an enterprise level.
0: So you mentioned brand value statements. How do companies build their brand value statement without making it sound stuffy and old and like the old mission statements we used to do decades ago that, that don't really provide any value, that is something to put on a piece of paper and and send out to all your employees?
1: exactly that's where the hard work really comes in uh, and I mentioned before about sharpening the pencil just when you feel like your pencil's sharp as you know you can put it back into the pencil sharpener and give it a few more turns and sharpen it even more and that's but where you're
0: dating yourself. maybe pencil sharpeners.
1: electric but that's where <laughs> that's where real uh, good marketers can really distinguish themselves and firms is to help to sharpen that pencil so that indeed the statements and the language is really descriptive and not back to the same old cliches that you mentioned, like a mission statement that really doesn't resonate with anyone um that really is a bygone day, so again, I think it's you know it's it's more about um talking also one other big change that I think is. Uh, website copy and messaging should be more about what the clients and investors really are looking for and less about what the firms offer. Uh, When you have too much messaging and information about what firms offer, uh, you sometimes get um, uh, less absorption and it doesn't really resonate with people because then they need to figure out and translate what those products and services may mean for them. So I think that. Uh, that's where wealth management firms and banks really need to do the heavy lifting and do that work up front for their Mm -hmm. clients. Mm
0: -hmm. Indeed and then that's something they would look to an expert like yourself to understand how much text is too much text.
1: Exactly how much text is too much text what are great messages Um, you know what really resonates and Thank goodness for digital, it allows us to be able to do a lot of really good A-B testing and uh, really change language if we feel it doesn't resonate as well. Hmm. Uh, so that's easy these days rather than uh, in bygone
0: days. Oh, clearly. So yes. with, with A-B testing, there's some ways that firms can use it, rather than just throwing stuff out and seeing what sticks, there's got to be some, some best practices for A-B testing. Well, traditionally, people
1: use focus groups uh, where they gather a group of uh, either like-minded or diverse uh, cohorts, and they will contest the language to see what it means to people and for people. Uh, That's something that we can help firms with. And I think that's really the value of using uh, an outside firm also, is to be able to even give the outside perspective from ourselves as opposed to internal people that might be used to reading some of the rhetoric Uh, and then even you touched upon before about the images Um, I've written about that since the very beginning I mean there's nothing worse than it's not just the language but the images can be very cliched like a lighthouse uh, we're guiding people Uh to show them the way right like a chess piece you know we're making the moves you know, or I think it. what it really does is show in a light where they are, quote unquote, the advisor, and it makes the client even sort of less than rather than partners, right, going into a relationship. Mm-hmm. So today's messaging and images are more about um, creating relationships and community between advisors and their clients and less about the sort of expert advice or even financial returns, right, that uh, were the value props of... Uh, uh, in the
0: past. So creating a community I think is another key point that a lot of firms don't understand. And uh, uh, one of the companies that I love in the space that's a startup and they're all mobile is Acorns. And they've done a great job creating a community. And it's very different when uh, a large bank says, well, we have X millions of customers, but those millions of customers don't think of themselves as the community, as a community whereas Acorn's customers do. So how, how do legacy wealth management firms build uh, their own community and create that sense of community around their products and value?
1: Well, I think that's really uh, where content marketing comes into play as well. Um, so my firm, I think, is really expert at creating very compelling content marketing that comes out of many of the messages that firms have. And I think it's also important to include relevant third-party content so it's not just all about the brand. Uh, And so that's where uh, firms really need to embrace the idea of providing value beyond just whatever the product or service is that they offer, but offering content that really is valuable, whether it's teaching people about something, telling them about something that they didn't know warning them about something praising them you know having the sort of interaction that makes it um, a satisfying experience rather than sort of that old-fashioned telling that we've been talking about right like we know this and here's what you should do sort mm-hmm. of that big brother more about um, how to engage people into uh, you know more more uh, holistic, financial planning, leading to more holistic relationships, right? With a wide variety of topics rather than just have my portfolio do this quarter.
0: Less of a lecture and more of a conversation.
1: Ah, oh, excellent, Craig. Good distillation. Oh,
0: thank you. But tell me, so April, tell me, why, why is content marketing so important? Why do we need that? We've all these other things. We're doing all this other marketing. Why content marketing as well?
1: Uh, So content marketing really is the backbone for professional services marketing. Um, And it really is so important because it gives uh, firms and financial advisors their own platform to be able to uh, demonstrate what they know and what their value is. But many times firms will think that their inside writers can write things or financial advisors will think, well, I'm a good writer and so I can write and uh, where that might be true. They could be a good writer. There's a different sort of tone, um, voice, and approach that you need to take in, in content marketing. So the way that we do it is really that is sort of more like an art and a science by creating a content marketing calendar for firms or for advisors on topics or keywords that they, we think they should be talking about, uh, creating content around that. Uh, putting it out and seeing it if it resonates, seeing if it returns with lead gen, which is really key. What the ROI on content can be, right. and um, that's why content marketing is really such a big boom today. But I think again, sometimes people make the mistake of the DIY approach, thinking that they could do it themselves, when in fact they probably can't do it themselves as well as an outside firm. And just like you know, advisors will rail against DIY investors. Uh, that's how I fi- feel about DIY marketers.
0: I was about to say that that it's just the same as advisors complaining about their clients going out and, and doing their own thing, and they don't understand. And well, why are you doing it in your own business? So it's 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 not uncommon. Yeah, if, yeah. So advisors are overwhelmed, and so are wealth management firms with all the content distribution channels now, especially digital, all the digital channels. So. How can they choose the right combination of these different digital channels to push out their message, brand, guy statement?
1: Um, So there are a lot of channels. I mean, it used to be when – so uh, starting 11 years ago when I first founded my firm, uh, Facebook was really – more of a personal platform, LinkedIn was more of a program, Snapchat didn't exist, Uh, or were, you know, very uh, nascent. So um, today we find that really it's more about the whole person, as I was saying before, and the whole message, right? So there is a blurring between personal and professional, and the people who do it really well uh, bring those two things together. Um, So sometimes people can have a better relationship with clients on Facebook. I think that could be one of the most underutilized platforms because people think it's so personal, but you're able to see life cycle events. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. But you're able to see clients life cycle events, right? You can see if they're traveling, uh, you can really get to know them on a a much more personal level. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I think that that is really appropriate today if people think it's appropriate, Mm -hmm. right? In other words, if your clients like it and you like it, you know, go for it, right? Mm -hmm. Um, LinkedIn, I think, is really the must-have channel. And I'm still surprised Mm -hmm. by how many firms and advisors really sort of ignore it, do minimal work on it, or even put out, you know, just corporate messages on it, which really don't resonate with anyone. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, LinkedIn is really a two-way street while we're on it. Let me just say that. Uh, You know, it's not just about posting information and going away, but you want to engage in conversations, you want to engage others in conversations and um, you know, not just be a one-way street where you post something and you go away.
0: It's a community. And the community requires interaction. You can't just spew. Exactly. So talk back to Facebook. So is how do you um make these connections with your clients on Facebook without seeming creepy? so
1: uh, again what people are really looking for today is that authenticity and transparency so if advisors are active on Facebook or firms are active on Facebook uh, you can certainly have it as part of your onboarding process by asking people whether or not they'd like to connect on Facebook Um, strategy for that's based on a content calendar and uh, really encourage um, people to interact with your brand or with the people from your firm just a little bit more which can bring you closer and that creates more stickiness more longevity relationships and better understanding more transparency just a whole host of benefits from there
0: April I think you've imparted a lot of great information Uh, during this podcast. I think people would be loath to miss it if they really are concerned or interested in marketing and understanding how they can do better marketing their firm in the wealth management space. So where can people find you online?
1: People can find me online uh, at april at therootingroup.com. They can find me on Twitter at group. And they can find my website at www.therudengroup.com.
0: And where will you be appearing? You are big on the, on the conference circuit uh, with your selfies and great fireside chats and interviews and content or uh, the panel moderation. So what's your upcoming content or uh, the conference calendar look like?
1: Uh, let's see. Uh, I am.
0: I'm to put you on the spot.
1: Yeah, no, I am chair for the next upcoming event that I have is I'm chair for Finnovate Fall on the very first Wealth Tech Day. So that's exciting. That's awesome. That is September 26th in New York wow. City. Mm-hmm. Uh, after that, I will, yes. Uh, actually, well, before that, I'll be at Robo Investing, which is an Informa conference in London the week of September 9th. So I'm really thrilled about uh, appearing there and speaking. And uh, following that in October, I have an FT wealth management event with very prestigious with a great host of characters in wealth management. uh, And that will be in October.
0: Excellent, I would encourage everyone to go to those conferences and hear April speak. It is uh, always, you always learn something. I know I always do uh, hearing you speak and, and hearing you impart uh, your wisdom from the number one social media wealth management influencer. Thanks, April. This well, thank you, nice thank you, Craig. Thank you. Yep, I'll see you soon. Take care. Okay.
1: Take care. Bye-bye.
0: Hey, everyone. It's Craig again. Just a few quick items before we go. If you like this episode, please give it a five-star review on iTunes. I would very much appreciate it. And remember to check out the show notes for links to everything we talked about on this episode. For more information on wealth management technology, you can read my Wealth Management Today blog at wmtoday.com. Thanks for tuning in, and I'm looking forward to talking to you all again next week.